Hey Angela, how are you? I'm good, Jeffrey. How are you? Excellent. Hey, what does it feel like to live in the most vaccinated city in the known universe? I know, I know. Super proud of Canberra. We've, we've, you know, we're, we're really happy to have gotten where we are, and I can see the rest of the country also making such amazing progress. Yeah, it's fantastic, isn't it, that the numbers are going up? Anyway, welcome everyone to the Source Pod. Hi everyone, I'm Geoffrey Smart, one of the co-founders and directors of the Ligon Group, a specialist international education consultancy based in Melbourne and of course, Canberra. I'm Angela Lehman, Head of Research at the Ligon Group. This episode, we're diving into the world of pilot programs for the return of international students. We're exploring what has been involved with these pilot programs, what have been the challenges and what have been the responses, and are these sustainable going forward? We've got three great guests that we interviewed. Um, we spoke with John Maloney, who is the Pro Vice-Chancellor International at Deakin University. And while he has plenty of other leadership roles in the se sector, he's also currently chair of the ATN's International Committee. And we spoke to John a long time ago, it feels like now, last year, about this very topic, pilot programs. We also spoke with Shane Griffin. Shane is the Executive Director, Sydney Future Students at the University of Sydney. He and his team are responsible for admissions and domestic and international student recruitment. A tough enough job and a big enough job at the best of times, but certainly even more complicated in pandemic times. We also spoke to Belle Lim. Belle is the outgoing president of the Council of International Students Australia, or CESA. Among the many responsibilities she took on in her role, Bell has represented international students on the Council for International Education and has been the voice of international students to government, playing a really vital role during the pandemic for the sector. And so we're off and running with pilot programs approved in our two largest states, New South Wales and Victoria, joining uh, South Australia and, of course, the Northern Territory, who ran a very successful pilot program in 2020. And while both the New South Wales and Victorian pilot programs will return small numbers of students each week, the significance is the announcement. The announcement really sends the signal that we are really opening international education up in this country, finally. Uh, we asked Shane Griffin at the University of Sydney to reflect on how the New South, South Wales pilot finally got up and running. It's been a long process. So the, the plan's been in existence for over a year in various iterations and had to change constantly as time passed and as the circumstances changed. So it's been a complicated process. I think what's changed since the announcement from the New South Wales government and the Commonwealth government has been the sense of reality of something actually might happen. Because I think last year we went through a period of sort of quasi announcements where things might happen and then nothing did happen or talk about things progressing and things didn't progress to the point where it got to a bit of scepticism uh, earlier in 2021. So an expression of interest went out to students that are offshore last week and there's been a really strong response to that and students are keen to get back, which is great. The on-campus experience is so important to us and it's something that we have always thought is critical to what we offer an international student. So to actually get them back and to have, have a ray of light that something's going to happen is great. And the fact that it's combined with the Commonwealth Government's announcements around uh, returning Australians and, and some more relaxed quarantine 
restrictions, certainly in New South Wales and potentially other states, that helps as well because it's a coordinated, it's not just about international students, it's about you know, critical workers and it's about Australians returning home as well. So shortly after the New South Wales pilot was announced, the Victorian government also announced that their proposal for a pilot to return students safely to the state had been submitted to the Commonwealth for approval. So this really added to the sense of hope across the sector and for students. At the time of recording this pod, the Victorian pilot has yet to be given the final tick of approval, but there's a lot of hope that this will happen in the near future. We asked John Maloney from Deakin University in Melbourne about the Victorian pilot and the process that they have been through to get this far. First of all, last year, it was just extremely challenging, extremely frustrating. All the good work that was going on between the universities and the Victorian government to find the safe corridor back for international students. So, you know, desperate to welcome back our international students, of course kept getting frustrated. So the next stage of the pandemic, the next crisis of the pandemic kept interfering with what we were planning for. And we were never able to see the light of day with that plan, even though it was well developed. So that was really frustrating. Um, But we kept working at it. And we're in a situation now where finally we're in a more optimistic, genuinely optimistic or hopeful period What was so frustrating about last year was that we were working on a pilot project which was only ever going to be very small in terms of returning, you know, a few dozen students on a weekly basis, really. And at any institution, that would just be, you know, for Deakin, we're looking at about 14 and we still are with the pilot project. But, you know, with the Prime Minister announcing the opening, the imminent opening of international borders with the fantastic news that the TGA was approving the, the Chinese and the Indian vaccines. So we weren't expecting that. That was really great news. And, of course, not only for China and India, but those vaccines are used throughout the region more generally. So it opens up possibilities of, you know, being able to bring back students, welcome back students and bring new commencing students onto our campuses not too far down, down the road. So we're in a much more optimistic position. The pilot project, Victorian government pilot project, which is, it's a really solid piece of work, but it is about a quarantine, uh, you know, two-week quarantine corridor. So I think that'll play a role, but it's only going to be a a shorter period probably before we're moving into fully vaccinated um, travel uh, and students. And it's really great to see the federal government and the Victorian government have a priority in their roadmaps forward as the international border opens up, fully vaccinated um, travel becomes a thing, have a priority for international students. That's really encouraging. So we're in a completely different situation at the moment. Um, There's been a lot of great work to be done. Exactly what fully vaccinated travel looks like, we don't know yet. So there's going to be layers of complexity and, you know, there will be challenges for sure there. But, you know, the fact that we're not constrained as we have been all through last year and into this year until much more recently around the limitations of uh, a dedicated quarantine facility, 14 days of quarantine, that was just the great constraint. So we're soon to move beyond that international students and those that support them in their movement and we the universities are really energized and invigorated by that and we'll be working hard to open up you know the scaled return 
of international students really soon. So I think what we hear from both Shane and John is really just the sheer hard work and coordination and collaboration that's been going on behind the scenes for such a long time. Even back in 2020, when we ran a couple of episodes of this podcast about pilot programs, these processes were already underway and it's been continuing just constantly behind the scenes throughout the pandemic. It's just remarkable, isn't it, Geoffrey? Yeah, it really is. And you're, you're right, it is very complex. And there are so many different government departments involved and levels of government and university stakeholders and accommodation providers involved and so on. But I think what's been really encouraging to see is that level of cooperation that is almost a sense of sheer willpower to get this thing back up and running, that that the international education sector will not let any barrier get in its way to getting this show back on the road. That's what really comes out for me. So as we heard last year in our podcast, the building of pilot programs has really involved our international officers and staff at universities developing a whole range of new skills. We spoke to Shane about this, about how the staff at the University of Sydney now know more about Changi Airport than they ever thought they would. The logistical challenges are just incredible. They need to become essentially aviation experts in a really uncertain and shifting environment. So we spoke to Shane about what really is involved at that logistical level. So most of the work has been done through the New South Wales Vice-Chancellors Committee. That group has worked really effectively together. So the the key group is the Vice-Chancellors Group, and that's been chaired by Professor Barney Glover from Western Sydney University. And under that are a couple of other committees. There's the Deputy Vice-Chancellor International Committee that I have been sitting on. Um, Then there's the Operations Committee, which is looking at um, the sort of operational elements of what the plan will be. So those three groups have sort of worked together. And one of the challenges has been the different structures of universities. So it may be that in, in the group that I'm on, It's another entire part of the university running things from a different institution because that's the way that they're structured. So it's been a really interesting lesson as well in the different governance Mm. structures and structures of universities and how they operate. So so they've been the three key groups. Most of the work is now being done by that operations group because they're looking Mm. at things like managing that expression of interest and starting to prioritise the incoming student cohorts. But it has gone through the certain phases of the Vice-Chancellor's Committee being the the key decision-making body from a university perspective, Mm. the Deputy Vice-Chancellor International Group being an advisory body around some of the things you need to consider when you're looking overseas, Um, Mm. and then the Operations Group, which are the group who now know a hell of a lot about Changi Airport uh, flight (laughs) schedules and, and underwriting charter flights. And so let's move on to the Victorian planning process to get this pilot up and running. It sure feels like it has been a long time coming, and it really has been. We know that work in Victoria amongst universities and government effectively kicked off as far back as March or April 2020. There's been a bit of, frankly, quite unhelpful argy-bargy between the state and Commonwealth governments along the lines of no plan submitted, insufficient detail, that kind of thing. But the state government has, has approved the pilot program and it's with the federal minister for approval. We're all feeling really hopeful. When I spoke with John, um, he commented on the complex and really dogged work the universities and the state government put into the planning process. And John expressed quite a bit of hope about 2022. I think just the main thing that I wanted to say was that, yeah, it was a plan that was developed in partnership with the universities. 
The Victorian government, you know, has been in a really difficult situation. I think they've managed the health crisis really well, but that meant that it presented extra additional challenges for us in, in that planning process. But it has been a good process. We've got a really good plan. It's well connected between the institutions. What we're doing at the moment is those universities, the Victorian universities that are going to, that are going to participate in the first stage of the pilot program, uh, working on their detailed uh, provider management plan. So, so the detail about what we need to commit to delivering as institutions through that plan. So that's work in progress at the moment and uh, we hope to complete that soon. And as I say, to be in a position where the pilots can open in December and then the fully vaccinated scaling up, travel and scaling up, I guess that could even be operating, uh, you know, as early as this year, but certainly as we move into next year. We asked Shane Griffin about the communications task the University of Sydney. All universities really have been wrestling with during the pandemic and the pilot programs in both New South Wales and, and Victoria bring with them all sorts of additional communications challenges. They're working on getting expressions of interest out to the potentially eligible pool of students and they're also providing as much accurate and up-to-date information as possible when some of the details are still being ironed out or, in positive news, new vaccines are being approved for students coming in on the pilot programs. So the communications challenges continue and Shane has a deep respect for the way the team at the University of Sydney have been meeting that challenge. We've had a really positive response to the expression of interest and it has been, I mean, I, I have all the time in the world for our communications team because the number of messages they've had to get out during the course of this pandemic that are incredibly complicated to a whole range of different bodies, including our own staff at various times. <laughs> Communications has never been proven more important than what it is at the moment. And my personal perspective is always to over-communicate these things rather than uh, under-communicate. So the feedback from the students has been good, but we also need to get a sense of reality and perspective for them as well about how long it's going to take and how sort of it's a slow start to getting students back. We sent the expression of interest out to about 22,000 students that are offshore at the moment. And on the first couple of flights, we have a uh, hundred and something seats. So there, there's going to be more demand than there is supply in the early stages. And our focus will very much be on those students who have to do something to be able to graduate. I think we're going to go through a phase of having a lot of excitement to mm. having quite a bit of disappointment and then to having to manage the expectations of those who are initially disappointed that they may not be on those first couple of flights, that this is the start and we, we are hoping to be able to open up in a greater number. So, yeah, the response has been really positive. Everyone always thinks that they're the special case and they're the priority and we just have too many for the seats that are available. So we're just going to have to make some really tough decisions about who are that first group to come through and then what the priorities are after that. John Maloney spoke to us about communicating good news to students while also being really careful not to overpromise. And I think this has been a particular challenge for the communication staff. So that's my point about the announceable of the pilot project, the PM's announcement about a November opening of the international borders. For the first time in a very long time, we've sort of got unequivocal good news to relate to students, parents, to agents, to the market. We've been very careful all the way through of communicating to the students on what the situation is, letting them know that we're working, doing whatever we possibly can to build the path back for them. 
but not over-promising. You know, the shifting sands, the additional challenges with each new stage of the, the pandemic, we just wanted to be very cautious. So there was deep frustration, quite understandably, by students and those that are advising them. So I think we've heard really similar themes coming from all of the people that we interviewed around the logistics, the planning and the importance of communications and almost managing international student expectations. I think it was Shane that spoke about the fact that we've got to be realistic. Many of the students who want to come back won't be able to come back on the initial pilot programs because the number of students who want to come back far exceeds the number available in the pilot programs, at least for now. That's right. I think all of our interviewees so far have really, really shown us just how much hard work has gone in. You know, it really shows this has not been easy. I don't think any of us would imagine that this has been a smooth process, despite the achievements that we're seeing at the moment. I think there's still a lot of students that are probably sensing that a bit of disappointment, I guess, that they still can't come in because these are relatively or very small, really, numbers of students that are able and eligible to come in. So we do still face a lot of challenges ahead. And all the while, the pandemic continues to throw curveballs into the planning processes. So international education people have endured a really hellish two years. They've been dealing with their own situations in the pandemic and that of their loved ones and, and communities. They've been undertaking critical emergency work to support students. They've been supporting one another, dealing with closed borders, dealing with those virus curveballs that, that Angela just mentioned. And they've had their plans dashed and hoped so many times. So what we wanted to find out were how international education people and indeed the campus communities more broadly at Deakin University and the University of Sydney are responding to the news that the pilot programs are up and running. This is what Shane Griffin at the University of Sydney told us, and I think it's terrific. Yeah, I mean, the international team are really excited. In my office next to me, I have a cartoon, you know, the old Charlie Brown cartoon where Lucy holds the football and then pulls it away every time. And no matter what uh, Charlie Brown thinks, she always pulls the football away. I think there's an, <laughs> there's an element of that with the international team. You're not going to pull this football away from us again, are you? Um, so, so they're a bit wary, but... There's a lot of excitement in the international team. There's a lot of excitement at the university. I mean, the international students are such a critical part of our cohort. I mean, so much of what the students have missed over the last year are the less tangible things. It's the relationships that they build at university. It's the clubs that they join. It's the societies that they're a part of. That is enhanced by the international student cohort being on the campus. So without that, even if that were open, which obviously it's been significantly restricted for domestic students mm. as well. Um, but even if it's open, we don't have that full cohort. We don't have that full environmental buzz. And getting that buzz back onto campus is something that we're all desperately looking forward to. I mean, we have a new vice-chancellor who started um, some months back now. But mm. I, I think he's excited about coming back onto campus. He hasn't been here much. So, um, oh, you know, for, for everybody, it's, it's really exciting just to be able to, to sort of get people back and to get a, a feeling back on campus, having to do it in an incredibly safe way. I mean, the mm. restrictions that we're still under are, are substantial and the COVID safety plans that each building has and each class have are exhaustive and necessary. But yeah, there is finally a sort of a sense of 
something's happening. We're going we're gonna to get some people back. Yeah, having plans in place to get some people back is certainly a step in the right direction. But how have international students reacted themselves? Has it all been positive? Are we seeing the positive sentiment from students that we've all been hoping for? We asked Belle about the reaction in the international student community. Well, I think for stranded international students, there are uh, so many of them in New South Wales or those that are enrolled in a university in New South Wales alone is almost 60,000 and across Australia is around 150,000. So I think students, when they heard this news, there certainly is an optimism. There is finally a plan there, but we also put it into perspective that 250 students every fortnight compared to the number of students that are waiting to come back is a very, very small proportion. So we are optimistic. What we hear from these students are also, they are being optimistic, but there are still a lot of confusion around the lack of clarity, who will be chosen, how will the process be, and it's still quite opaque for a lot of students. So while we are excited, there is a plan, we don't know how will that affect me? That is the general sentiment that we are hearing from students. I think what Bell's alluding to there is maybe that things aren't that simple in terms of having a positive message, pure and simple, coming out of the pilots, and that there is still that need to, as she said, manage expectations a little bit. With more pilot programs up and running and vaccination rates surging in Australia, not just in Canberra, Angela, and an expectation that we'll be able to return international students at scale next year, we're absolutely not out of the woods yet. While we're all excited, as Angela has said, and Belle has said, students remain confused, somewhat in the dark, and in desperate need of clarity as they plan for their futures. I mean, just over the past couple of weeks alone, there have been conflicting announcements about borders reopening, who can return and how, what quarantine arrangements will be in place for whom. These conflicting announcements have been whiplash-inducing. And even for seasoned international education people like ourselves and our listeners, it's confusing. So just imagine where students are at. So we asked Belle for her reflections on what's needed now from a student perspective. I think this is a big challenge that the sector is facing right now because the sector has also taken a big hit from the border closure and the sector doesn't have direct influence or control over this issue. However, for international students, their education providers and the sector is the first interface, is the first contact that they have with Australia. So they are crying out for some clarity. It is their future that is on the line. They need some clarity to be able to plan their future. And we know that the sector is also being, their hands are tied in being able to control this. But from where we see it, from the perspective of CESA, we need a stronger collaboration between the sector and the Australian government and made the plans that way so that they don't have to guess what each other is doing and they can come to the same page and actually lay out the plan and give them to students. So at the AIEC conference recently, we heard from Minister Tudge about 
the expectations that Australian travellers will be able to return to Australia by the end of the year and permanent residents and international students prioritise for next year. And I think Minister Tudge's speech about possibly returning tens of thousands of international students next year was a real positive. Of course, there's still confusion about when and exactly how the borders will reopen, but it was a a speech in the right direction, if you like. I asked John Maloney about that speech, and he shared his thinking about what a scaled return of students in 2022 might look like, or what decisions need to be taken to get to a scaled return. Yeah, so great to hear the minister being so hopeful, so optimistic in the short term as well. Well, I think what we were thinking was that, yeah, the pilot projects would get them up and running and then we'd be looking at scaling up, you know, probably from the second half of next year. I just think the way that we've managed the rollout of the vaccines in Australia, the federal government's national plan, the Victorian roadmap out, And the fact that the thresholds are 70% fully vaccinated and 80% fully vaccinated adult population and the fact that we're heading so positively towards those milestones just has brought everything forward. So we don't know what that looks like just at the moment, but the possibility of a scaled return, I don't think it's going to be a matter of simply opening the border fully. There's going to be complexities around flight availability, what does that look like? And these are the challenges that we'll be working with, uh, certainly with the Victorian government, but the universities will be working on, you know, helping students access flights. But that will be a challenge. And then we're still yet to hear what the quarantine requirement uh, for fully vaccinated students coming into Australia is going to be like. Yeah, it is certainly hopeful, absolutely. And we were all really encouraged to hear that there is some movement happening to look at the scaled return of students. However, it does kind of add to that complex and maybe confusing environment about the messaging of pilots and how they sit alongside a general reopening. And we asked Belle about whether she predicts that states and territories will continue to work on pilot proposals in the context of this kind of announcements about the international border reopening in the coming months. She talked to us about the challenges of the pilots and border reopening coexisting. I think that with the news of New South Wales and now Victoria putting this pilot program forward, my I guess, prediction or expectation would be that they see that this is an essential step um, before the border reopening. So I think that other states such as South Australia and NT, who already have been working on their plans, would perhaps put their plans forward very soon. And on the other hand, we also have the questions, uh, why do we need this pilot program uh, if Australia is going to reopen very soon? So how do they coexist? Uh, do students need to wait to be selected into these pilot programs or should they start you know, thinking about planning their own return when Australia reopens? So this is a big question that uh, we've had uh, since last year that haven't been answered. Listeners to this pod will know that we bang on quite regularly or have been for the last two years about the need for a national reopening plan and a framework for greater consistency of messaging for Australia as a whole. And it's more important now, actually, ironically, than it has been ever. As we're announcing pilot programs, students can see that they might be able to return to New South Wales or Victoria. But what about Queensland? What about Western Australia? When will Tasmania reopen? You know, international students, when they look at our country, 
see country first and state second. So we think it's really important that we have a national framework for international student re-entry. And we asked Belle for her thoughts on this. Certainly, 100%. We have been calling for that independently as well from CESA for a very long time. Australia needs a national framework and a national roadmap on this issue. I have brought this up in some of the high-level meeting with um, the federal government before. Um, I think from an international student point of view, this is so unbelievable. How could Australia be in this place? Uh, especially when we look at other competitive countries, they seem like they make a decision nationally and they follow the decision. So uh, I don't have a very deep understanding on the federalism here in Australia, but I think that the pandemic exposed the kind of the weakness in a sense that Australia as a country, as a nation, couldn't work together. And on this topic that we are talking about, international students are the people that are bearing the brunt when Australia cannot make a decision uh, within itself. So I think what we've heard on this episode, Angela, is that getting the New South Wales and Victorian pilot programs up has been a great achievement and a really fantastic example of collaboration amid absolute complexity, those virus curveballs after all. And actually, I think that we should acknowledge the hard work that people in the pilot program states, whether they're universities, accommodation providers, health departments, whoever they are, we need to congratulate them for keeping up the hard work behind the scenes. Equally, to give a shout out to the, the pilot program planners in other states and territories. I think that they can be very proud of where they've got to so far. A long way to go, but you know the people involved in this have done a ma- marvellous job. Yeah, that they have, they have. But I don't want to be a bearer of doom and gloom. However, I think we're actually in a bit of a, a dire situation at the moment. There is a problem brewing um, here. When we have students that are confused, Australia is appearing chaotic. It feels like there is no consistency and there is a serious problem with messaging and communications at the national level to our international students. And I think that this needs to be really seriously addressed right now. When we're, we're seeing these pilot programs happening and there's a real sense of hope, we need to also sit back and have a think about, but how is this really looking from the outside? We don't want to be doom and gloom merchants, but to get to the full optimistic sunny side of the post-pandemic era, there's some more hard work that we've got to be doing right now. And we think that there is such an emergency around messaging that we're going to release our very first emergency pod alongside this podcast as well. So we'll be back in your feeds twice this month. Vasha Balakrishnan, our education analyst, Angela and I will sort of tease apart some of these issues in a little bit more detail. Yeah, we certainly think it's time to talk and now is our chance to have a proper sit down and a discussion in an honest and frank way about some of these challenges that are facing our sector at the moment. Thanks for joining us on this episode of The Source Pod. You can subscribe to The Source Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Just search for The Ligon Group. You can subscribe to The Source, the companion newsletter to this podcast at theligongroup.com. And you can follow us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Thanks for listening, everyone. See you, Angela. Talk to you soon, Jeffrey. Bye.